0: Wow, good to see all of you today. Congratulations, graduates. It's always a wonderful thing to move on to the next step. And uh, God to be with with you, to say the least. Um, We are going to look at uh, the book of Philemon. And I'm going to read large chunks of it in the midst of the message. But it never hurts to kind of get an overview so I'm going to invite you to join me in the reading of the entire 25 verses, and I'll read and you can listen, but you have to stand up. Will you do that in honor of God's word? <clears throat> Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also Aphia, the sister, our sister, and... Archippeus, who is our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love for all the holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing, we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, Paul. it is as none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him back, or sending back him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you would you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps this reason he was separated uh, from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, a dear brother. As a very may have some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, our fellow prisoner in the, in the Lord Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark and Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow worker. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is God's word. Amen and amen. Please be seated. Uh, A number of years ago, on the front end of a missionary journey I was taking to Eastern Europe... I stopped in the city of Amsterdam for four or five days uh, there, and I had a couple of uh, things that I wanted to get done, one of which I wanted to check in with a a mission headquarters that I was familiar with and to meet some of the people that were there, and plans were made for that. But the other thing that I wanted to do was go to the Rijksmuseum, uh, where uh, uh, Nightwatch happens to be. (laughs) Uh, uh, Rembrandt's night watch happens to be. It's uh, uh, absolutely amazing. You know, when when you stand before a a place, a picture, a, a painting like that, you're absolutely blown away by its size and by its beauty. Now, I went specifically to the museum to see that particular shot, but I saw a whole lot of other things as well. And I discovered that within a great art gallery, you're always going to find room for a lot of little miniatures, if you please, that are just as fun to see, pretty much. And uh, that's uh, also true of the gallery of the New Testament here. You know, alongside the massive works of Hebrews and Romans, you find this little miniature here of Paul's letter to Philemon. Uh, who was a good friend of his. Uh, You know, he had a slave, and the slave was Onesimus. And uh, he made a fateful decision to steal from his master and run away from his master and uh, kind of blend in with with what Rome was doing with the slaves at that particular time. In fact, uh, Gibbon, in his massive work, The Decline and the Fall of the Roman Empire, says that uh, during that first century, there were actually 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Now, slaves could be prisoners of war. Uh, They might be children that have been sold into slavery by their parents. Uh, Some adults sold themselves into slavery in order to pay off a debt. Uh, slaves sometimes were highly educated Uh, they were teachers they were even physicians Uh, some were mine workers and lived tragically short lives now for a slave to run away after he had robbed his master uh, as the one that's mentioned in this book would be in terrible straits if he were caught at the very least he would be severely disciplined physically and may even uh, lose his life. Let me put the story in a little bit of a historical setting. Paul was a prisoner in Rome when he wrote this little note. Uh, we, if we went through Philippians, we learned that the, the apostle Paul started the church in Philippi, and then he cast out a demon and a little slave girl and was framed and thrown in jail and then sent to Jerusalem and then went to Caesarea there on the coast of the Holy Land where he spent some time in incarceration as well. Ultimately, he appealed to Caesar as a Roman citizen and was shipped to Rome where he was going to be for a couple of years. He fully expected to be released after two years, and in fact was. But while he was there, in Rome, he wrote what is known as the prison letters. Uh, he wrote to, a ch- to the church at Ephesus. He wrote to the church at Colossae, the leaders there. He wrote to the church at Philippi that was functioning at that time. And he also wrote this little note, this little postcard, to a good friend of his, and that was Philemon. And Philemon was a slave owner who happened to live in Colossae. Now, one of Philemon's slaves, a guy named Onesimus, of course, made that faithful decision To go ahead and steal from his master, and then absconded to Rome, where he blended in with all of the other hundreds and hundreds of thieves in that uh, uh, massive city. But by God's grace, Onesimus ran into Paul, and lo and behold, as you might well expect, uh, he became a follower of the Lord, accepted the Lord, changed his entire ways in life, and... uh, began to be very useful with with Paul, for Paul. Now, Paul was on the horns of a dilemma. What do I do with a slave that uh, was somebody who used to be a slave, a runaway slave, I should say, but who is now a child of God? And so what Paul did is write this little note to a slave owner, and that would be Philemon. and he had Onesimus actually carry the note all the way back to Colossae, which is in Asia Minor, and give it to his master with whom he, you know, from whom he stole and ran away and you know, just deliver the message hand through hand. Now, again, the intent of the letter uh, was Paul's desire that Philemon reinstate his fugitive slave who had wronged him. Again, in verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our fellow brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, maybe Philemon's wife, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and that would be a fellow soldier in the scriptures. He might have been the son of Philemon and perhaps the pastor of the church in Philemon's house. And to the church in your house. And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul does in in giving this little letter, he drops the official title of an apostle. And you can remember in some of the, uh, the books that we've studied, as you've read through them yourself in the New Testament, Paul wrote about 13, possibly 14 letters in the New Testament. And when he wrote to churches, at times he would always begin, Paul, an apostle of Christ. And he did that just to give him a little bit of clout uh, because he was going to talk about some hard truth to those churches. But in this particular case, he doesn't call himself an apostle. He drops the official title and he just assumes the position of a a supplicant. So Paul describes himself as a prisoner because that's what he currently was there in Rome. And Paul begins by praising Philemon, with words of encouragement, verse 4, I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers. It's because I hear of your love and the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. So Philemon's faith in Christ was not an empty profession. It found expression in his love for people and a genuine faith in you and in me will always find expression in love for people. Uh, verse 7, he says, I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. So Philemon is commended for his faith, his love, and his ministry. Just a little bit of a sidebar here there's an academic journal. Uh, called the Journal of Happiness, actually. And uh, using the tools of research, it identifies what makes human life flourish. And researchers look at what distinguishes happy people from unhappy people and what, you know, and one factor continually showed up. And that factor wasn't money or health or security or attractiveness or IQ or career success. It's the presence of deep, joy-filled relationships. Now, we know something about that here at Harvest. You know, whatever, whenever there's an exchange of genuine caring and just the roots of our soul are getting fed, and we understand that and we're nourished when we come here, not just by what we learn about the Lord, but just by meeting one another and encouraging one another in the course of what this next week holds, holds as well. Now, along that same vein, there was a British scientist called Don Winnicott, and he found that children who play in close proximity with their mother are more creative and inventive than children playing at a distance from their mom. And Winnicott found that children are naturally inventive and curious and more likely to take risk in the circle of connectedness. They show more energy, they laugh more, and if they fail at some endeavor, they're more likely to try it again. Uh, So there's something about the circle of connectedness that kind of feeds our souls. We need people, we need one another, and that was Philemon. Philemon happened to be an encourager. That means he simply imparted spiritual strength and optimism to those who were around him. He didn't ask, what's the good word? He simply became the good word. Now, we all, all of us here in this room need accreditation from the outside, and it's part of the beauty of the church of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is going to move to his intercessory plea. This is where he's going to get down to business. This is the purpose of why he actually wrote this postcard. He says this in verse 8, therefore... Though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. He formerly was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, and in doing so, I'm sending my very heart. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be by compulsion, but by your own free will. For perhaps Onesimus was separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but as a beloved brother. If you regard me as a partner, accept him as you would me. Paul saying, you know, I could command you as an apostle, an apostle, as an, as an, an apostle, to receive Onesimus back. I'm an apostle. I'm your spiritual father. But I'm not going to pull rank, Paul says. I simply appeal to you on the basis of love. And it reminds us that, you know, the Christian ethic itself is not rule based. Sometimes we think it's rule-based because there's a lot of commands in the Scripture, but they all have a context, you know, buoyed up by grace itself. In the truest sense, you know, grace is not unmerited favor shown by God to us. Grace is demerited favor shown by God to us. In other words, we're not morally neutral. We're morally bankrupt. And our need for grace confirms the fact that we're sinful, and our reception of grace confirms the fact that we're valuable. See, the Christian life is kind of walking in the power of the Spirit on this razor's edge. You know, we're tempted at some, sometimes to, to depreciate ourselves. Sometimes we exalt ourselves. And the Christian life lives on that razor's edge between self-exaltation and self-depreciation. Grace binds us together together. It levels the spiritual playing field. Certainly there are different levels of responsibility within the church of Jesus Christ. But among God's people, there's no spiritual hierarchy. None at all. We're all at the same level. Uh, So the Christian life... Let me put it this way. Paul... What Paul does is he shows Philemon the interconnectedness of the body of Christ. And here's what he does. Very interesting. The first thing that Paul does here in his little note (laughs) is that he identifies himself with Philemon, the guy he's writing to. He says, you're my beloved brother. You're my fellow worker. I'm comforted by your love and support. The second thing that Paul does is he identifies himself with Onesimus the slave that ran away from Philemon. He says, he's my son. He's my very heart. And then third, he identifies Philemon and Onesimus. Philemon with his former slave that ran away. You see, Onesimus, Paul says, has been standing in for you, Philemon, while I've been in prison. You and Onesimus are brothers in Christ, and in view of the fact that we're all spiritually interconnected, it makes sense that you would welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. And so, what Paul does is he concludes this little postcard here with a promise. He says in verse 18, and he's making a promise to Onesimus, or to Philemon if Onesimus has wronged you in any way, and he certainly has, or owes you anything, and he certainly does. Charge that to my account. Send me the bill, and I'll make it good. And then he says, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. And then he adds those words, not to mention that you owe me even yourself. It's kind of a reference to Paul's spiritual impact in Philemon's life as well as the life of Onesimus. And so Paul is kind of changing the... I owe you to a you owe me kind of a thing, a little bit of a kind of the way waves operating there. Now I want to conclude this, uh, but the conclusion is going to go a while, so don't think that we're going to be out of here in just a few minutes from now, okay? (laughs) It's it's really about half the message here, but I want uh, to put out a few things before you. First of all, I want you to notice how Paul brings reconciliation between Philemon and Onesimus. And Paul did it by giving up his rights and his privileges. You see, he could have ordered Philemon to do the right thing, but he didn't do it. Instead, he made an appeal on the basis of love. Now, with respect to preferences, Paul wanted Onesimus to remain with him in Rome. That's what he really wanted. I mean, Onesimus was proving to be very valuable in the ministry that Paul was sustaining within and without the prison itself. So he wanted Paul and Onesimus to remain with him. And it makes sense, just simply because Onesimus was valuable in Paul's ministry. But Paul didn't keep him. He let his own preferences go. You know, it's easy for you, for me, to get heavy-handed with a spouse, maybe a child, maybe a co-worker, but we're better off if we were more tolerant, more conciliatory, and more forgiving. And Paul reminds Philemon that perhaps God allowed Onesimus to be taken from you for a while uh, to run away that he might Become a Christian and then return to you no longer as a slave, but as a brother in Jesus Christ. See, we're not drones. You know, we're, we're imperfect men. We're imperfect women and young people. And we need to explore more deeply the love of Jesus Christ that he demonstrates toward us. The same love that, that Take a, a parental love for a son or for a daughter and multiply it by infinity, and that's the kind of love that Jesus Christ has for his children, for you and for me. And so he was helpful for ministry. He was, he was hundreds of miles from home. You know, Paul is sending him back. Why is he doing that? You know, Philemon is without question moved on from this. It's been months, perhaps even a, a few years uh, since Philemon actually left. It's kind of like water underneath the bridge, so to speak Not only that slavery is an inhumane institution uh, And Philemon as a stray slave owner, you know ought to be and perhaps he was we don't know But he should have been systematically releasing his slaves as they're able to find work and furthermore, you know, that's you, you know, the only way you can really deal with the social evil of slavery as well. But we need to remember slavery back at that particular time oftentimes was voluntary. And so we have to look at the whole picture, but we've got to believe that Philemon was an incredibly godly man and was doing what was right and necessary for Onesimus and perhaps any other slave that might be under his care. But nevertheless, we understand it is a social, um, a social evil. Uh, you know, I've had, I had an opportunity once a long time ago. It wasn't more of an opportunity. It was more of a lesson that I learned uh, to see grace flow in my own direction. You know, my last semester of college, which was darn near a half century ago, But uh, my last semester of college and my last uh, final exam, I was a a psychology major, and my last final exam in a required course, the history of psychology, I I cheated on the exam. Uh, You know, I didn't have to cheat. I was well prepared. It wasn't a particularly hard test. But nevertheless, I brought in some crib notes that I just looked at in the course of the examination. And when the exam was over, I turned in my examination, put it on his desk, and walked out. And it didn't take but about 23 seconds before I was totally convicted. And uh, I just was weighted down by the fact that I cheated on this exam and violated my fellow students as well as myself, as well as my God and so forth, and the professor. And, uh, you know, I lived with it for several days, maybe four or five days, and uh, it kept bubbling up and I kept pushing it down and there was all kinds of reasons you know, why I didn't want to go back. I mean, it was, uh, you know, it was a required course. If he chose to flunk me, I wouldn't graduate, and that would be a hassle. I'd have to take the class all over again. Uh, Suzanne and I were dating, and we were angling toward marriage. We had some plans and so forth, and all this other stuff was going on, and I just kept pushing it and pushing it. But about after a week, I couldn't live with myself any longer. And so I went back uh, to campus. And I climbed the top of a multi-story building in there and I knocked on his office door and um, he said, come on in. He didn't know who it was. And uh, I walked in and I saw all of his academic, Ivy League credentials and so forth. And I thought, man, this is going to be a tough nut to crack. But I said, "Uh, Dr. Stearns, I cheated on your exam last week. And... um, I just want you to know that uh, you can do to me whatever you want to do. You can flunk me, and I'll take the course over again, you know, lower the grade, do whatever you need to do. And so uh, he sat me down and uh, talked to me for about a half an hour, and there was a mixture of sincerity and uh, importantness and laughter and all kinds of things that were going on in there. But at the end of that half hour, he said, "Okay, I'm not going to flunk you. I'm not even going to lower your grade. We'll just count it as even, and thank you for telling me. And so I walked out of that office, and I was totally liberated. And I got to thinking, you know, Whenever I confess a transgression like that, I, I, I found him so gracious, you know. He just, um, I don't know that he was a believer in Christ. He didn't make any particular announcement in that particular fashion. But anytime somebody over you has the power over you and they treat you with grace and with a fair amount of respect, it's something that you never forget. And we see, we see in this, this little Book here, a beautiful aspect of the gospel as well. You know, as human beings, you and I were created by God, we're owned by God, uh, we're called to serve uh, the Lord and uh, live for the glory of God. And yet, uh, because of sin, uh, uh, we 've no longer make God so weighty in our own lives, and uh, we 've given up our god given role at times, and we run off, we cheat, uh, we live in rebellion we 're kind of spiritual fugitives as onesimus, and really the the death penalty as it hung over Onesimus still hangs over us you know if we don 't know the Lord, if we don 't belong to the Lord you know and we You know, the sin there becomes the big thing that hangs over our own head. But, uh, you know, a first century slave, interestingly enough, had one right. And that is he could go to a friend of his master. And not to find concealment, but to find advocacy. And so as Onesimus went and found an advocate in the Apostle Paul... So we find an advocate in Jesus Christ before a holy and righteous God. We, we need an advocate like Christ in, the, in that respect. And as Paul goes to Philemon, so Christ goes to the Father. And Jesus says, as, as, uh, as Paul said, put that to my account, Philemon. Jesus said, hey, take the sin, take the cheating, take the stuff that... Gary Stubblefield has done wrong, you know, and, and just uh, put it on my account, and I'll take care of it. I'll be good for it. And that's exactly what he did. It, it was heaped on Jesus Christ, and he went, and he paid for it just like Paul paid for Onesimus. And so we're now dressed in the righteousness of Christ, and when we're, do, when we're dressed in the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ, we move from being a fugitive to a friend. And that's the beauty of it. I have one final question. Did Philemon reinstate Onesimus? And uh, I think Paul assumed that he would, but we don't know for sure that he did. And the Bible is silent, And we don't have a whole lot of information from what we would call extra biblical literature. Uh, But there is one story worth considering. You know, following the time of the apostles in the first century still AD, uh, there was a a group of people that were now known as the church fathers. And they would be like uh, Augustine and Chrysostom and Polycarp and Jerome and so forth. But one of the earliest church fathers was a guy named Ignatius, and he was a contemporary of a lot of the apostles, a lot of the time when the New Testament was actually written and those things. So he was there during that time. And uh, there was was interest, let me put it this way, What Ignatius did, he was, he was in on death row, if you please, at a prison. And while he was in prison, uh, he wrote a letter uh, to the bishop of Ephesus. And Ephesus isn't too far from Colossae there in Asia Minor. And in his letter, Ignatius' letter to the bishop of Onesimus, uh, with the bishop of Ephesus, the bishop was named Onesimus. Now uh, it may be one and the same; it may not be the same, uh, but it could be. It sounds coincidental, but the thing that Ignatius does in his letter to to the the um, uh, letter to the church at Ephesus is that he quotes verse eleven in Paul's letter to Philemon. Onesimus was useless to you but now is useful both to you and to me. That's quoted in a letter that, that, uh, that Ignatius wrote. Now, verse 11 is a little bit of a play on words because the name Onesimus means useful. And if Onesimus was a young man when he ran into Paul there in, in, in Rome, it could well be that he was the same guy that became a minister and then a bishop in the city of Ephesus. So it could be that he was reinstated and went on to live a, a marvelous life for the l- glory of the Lord. Now, there's one more thing here, kind of like Columbo, one more thing. <laughs> but, you know, you wonder, again, how a non-doctrinal book, there's very little doctrine here in the, in the book of, of Philemon, how this non-doctrinal book uh, would make it into the New Testament canon of scriptures uh, alongside those masterpieces of, of Romans and Hebrews. What in the world? How did this thing end up there? Well, coincidentally or not so coincidentally, the inspired work of compiling the New Testament canon of scriptures, deciding what goes into it and what stays out of it, was done in the city of Ephesus. And it could well be that Onesimus, led by the Holy Spirit, saw this little postcard roll in. And he says, you know what? I want the world to know how a useless, profligate slave whose life was transformed by the power of the gospel, by the power of Christian friendship, by the power of community. And specifically, with respect to you and to me, you know, what Onesimus, Bishop Onesimus was saying, I want the people of Harvest to never forget that no one is ever too far gone to be accepted, to be forgiven by the Lord. That includes your children, that includes my children, that includes our parents, that includes our grandparents. No one is ever too far gone to be accepted and forgiven by the Lord. And you look at this and you say, Thanks be the Holy Spirit for including this little postcard, a postcard of mercy and grace, sitting right there in our New Testaments, reminding us of just the relational core that we have and the beauty of community that we can continue to engage in and be strengthened in our own walk with the Lord. Our Father, we, we do thank you for what you have uh, done for us. And we think sometimes... Um, Uh, of such trivial stuff but in reality it's so very important and I pray Father that you'll keep our hearts soft and discerning that uh, our lives might reflect uh, the, the beauty of the Lord in our relationship with one another here that we might be men, women, young people who encourage one another who don't belittle one another uh, but who build up. And we thank you for the body of Christ and uh, what you are capable of doing through it. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to close our, our service with communion today, and I'd like uh, the gentleman that'll be helping us to come. And... Um, The elements will be passed out in quietness and reflection. And uh, we'll take the elements together when everybody has them. So hold on to both of them as they come around.